You can take your Cheeriodles and yeet it up your bunghole. I am not in the mood for idiocies. Yes, I have bad news. That foul, moronic, sad sack of failed promises Jacqueline and her clown troop of voodoo pustules has blown it. Two of them sent to find the monastery, and they never returned. And now she says she can't afford another two because, and I quote, Lloyd, there's a war on, unquote. Well, you want a war? I will give you a war. This is not bloodshed. I will show you bloodshed. I will see this city a burning cinder before I am through, mark my words. I will visit tears and wailing upon this miserable narrative like it cannot imagine. How much longer can I bear being stuck in this foul body, abandoned, powerless, trapped in the hell that is this feces-ridden city? I have nothing left, almost nothing. I have my mind and my wrath. And with those mere two things, I will have a third thing. Revenge. Revenge upon this entire crap narrative. Today's sponsor. Today's sponsor? How about today's show is brought to you by my nutsack? No, not, not even my nutsack. I don't even have testicles anymore. I have a wooden slab where they used to be. Oh, sure, I could procure those dildo add-ons that some people used to buy and attach to their dolls so they could rut with them while the poor trapped souls inside watch outwardly in annoyance and horror, brought back from the dead so some thirsty pervert can attach a marital aid to you and hump your mahogany body like an overzealous dog humps your leg, their sweaty, hairy body panting like a winded beast, Reminding you that once you stop possessing hormones, humans fornicating holds all the attraction of, of squealing pigs slobbering all over each other's muddy, disgusting, pox-stained genitalia. This is my lot in life. This is my reward. Wandering the streets like Pinocchio in a neutered wooden body, dressed in a rotting flesh suit with a floppy pink dildo hanging from my nether region like some randy circus clown. My dignity in tatters, my, my hope, my joy of living gone. To be or not to be, indeed. But I will not give this city the satisfaction of seeing me beaten. I will reduce its population to mindless slugs and watch them burn like thicky vicky. I will cause chaos and wrath, and stand laughing as it burns a thousand times brighter than the fires of hell itself. And so, because since all endeavors are ultimately pointless, we now present the final chapter of Asha and the Caravan, or whatever we're calling the damn thing. Who cares? Life is meaningless. Love is a joke whose punchline fades with the ravages of time. Our only reward is, if we're lucky, nothingness. Hope is the lure leading to the whip of sadistic fate, and madness the refuge of the lucky. And now, today's story.
Asha, Jill, and Michael talked. Jill and Michael were shocked to see someone, and practically hysterical at the thought of rescue. In fact, it was pure good fortune that they had been near the entrance and not lost in the catacombs within the great watchtower. They both cried a bit while clinging to Asha, which made her feel odd and uncomfortable, and this, coupled with their unshoveled appearance, potent smell from barely washing, and overly excited babble, made her question their sanity, and even, for a brief moment, consider turning tail and fleeing back onto her dragon. However, she felt sorry for the two nutters, and of course she herself was being hunted. In fact, if the gnomes found the watchtower, they might likely search inside. She begged Jill and Michael to please shut up, and then informed them that she was being hunted by evil little gnomes riding black monsters and needed to hide in case they came inside. Upon hearing this, Michael started sputtering, and at that moment, Asha concluded that he was probably too far gone to ever regain sanity. She was relieved, however, when Jill pulled herself together enough to tell Asha that the watchtower indeed had a plethora of tunnels she and Michael knew inside out where no one would find them. They led her deep into the watchtower. The watchtower had been built by an alien race, and its architecture made very little sense to the human mind. However, at some point in the past, undoubtedly long after it had been abandoned by the original builders, some humans had apparently been here for some time. Like mice living within a human home, these people had burrowed their own series of tunnels and rooms within the larger construction, and it had been here that Jill and Michael had spent most of their time during the past several months. Whoever had been here before had left a prodigious supply of food and drink, much of it strange and clearly pulled together from different, unfamiliar narratives. Most of it was quite good, except for a few items which were clearly acquired tastes. They arrived at a room Jill and Michael had set up as a common room. They offered Asha cold tea, there was plenty of tea, but no means of heating it. Michael, raised in a swamp, was well acquainted with cold brewing techniques and prepared Jill a rather surprisingly pleasant cup of caffeinated room-temperature liquid, which her grandmother would never have allowed anyone to call tea, but which was refreshing and comforting nonetheless. They then began to talk and trade stories. Jill and Michael had been in the watchtower several months. They had subsisted on the plentiful supply of food and drink some kind group had left there long before. Food did not spoil here, as made clear by some unedible fish Michael had offered Asha, which she had to spit out, but which he had developed an enthusiastic taste for. He said it was Finnish, but regardless of origin, it didn't spoil and Jill and Michael had wondered whether in this realm one could then age. The fact that they needed to eat, well, they thought they needed to eat. They attested it by going three days without food, but had broken the fast out of not only hunger, but basic boredom, as the preparation of food was one of the main ways they passed the time. The fact that their hair grew and their bodies smelled point to time passage and therefore aging. They had concluded that they had no idea what the hell was going on and simply tried to carry on. They did bathe once a week, using the water stored here. They had determined that conserving water was vastly more important than stinking a bit, so once a week bathing it was. 
After bathing, they would have sex, but really, mostly out of boredom and to fulfill the basic human need for physical intimacy. During the preceding months, they had grown very close and bonded very deeply. However, it was clear to both of them that their bonding was not romantic in nature. They worked well as friends, not lovers, and they engaged in sexual congress out of simple practicality. They had left the watchtower and swum around Metaspace, but were afraid to venture too far from the safety of the tower. They didn't know what to do, where to go, how to get there, and having spent incredible amounts of time gazing out one of the windows in what they had labeled the Tower Observatory, they had seen things. Insane things. Sometimes scary things. There were things that roamed the metaverse, things that were clearly alive. Some of them were bizarre and interesting, and some were downright frightening. The black thing that looked like a violent scribble was the worst, and it moved fast. They hadn't attempted to interact with anything, they just watched from the safety of the tower. This wasn't the really interesting stuff, though. The interesting stuff was the various papers and cards left strewn about. There had been a small library here at one time, though all of the original books were gone. Someone had tried to copy some of them, only scraps were left in some cases, and others were written in languages neither Jill or Michael knew. They knew the names of at least four books that had once been here, and a few scraps of these had been found and collected. They were, in no particular order, An Accidental Search for Godhood, A History of the Chaostrophe, Archetypal Magic, and The Grimoire of William. They had become aware of two previous groups who they believed had been here, or at least were familiar with Metaspace. One of them included a woman named Seridwan and Baron Samadhi. This group they believed was relatively large and might still be in existence. However, they seemed to have built themselves some kind of land beyond time. They were calling all transcendents or gifted ones to join them before they closed their doors and probably by now they were already locked away. The other group seemed older. They were called the Promethean Lodge, and included someone named William, who had written a grimoire that Seridwan's group seemed to hold in high regard and was desperate to find. Jill got quite excited at the mention of William in the Promethean Lodge. She too had heard of them, and when Jill and Michael had finished, they poured themselves another cup of tea and Jill told her story. As we know Jill's story, we need not repeat it here, but after she finished relating the events that brought her to the watchtower, she started in on the important matters that would bring about what comes next. Asha informed them about what she knew about the small gnomes, mainly that they were looking to conquer the metaverse, as ridiculous a concept as that seemed to be, or perhaps they were just looking to destroy the species that had built the Watchtower, a fallen, devolved species whose form changed against their will, but who were nevertheless still quite powerful. Jill and Michael had read snippets about them. They were described as large, bipedal rats, but Jill said that this was out of date. They were becoming small bears and may have even finished the transformation by now, or they could be half-rat, half-bear, who knows. 
The species definitely still existed, but was impossible to find unless they wanted to be. In their prime, the species had built incredible pieces of technology throughout the metaverse. Watchtowers, highway systems, stop places that functioned as mini-realities, sub-realities. They had built bubble boats capable of sailing into the higher dimensions. Asha had been told that they devolved due to being untethered from a stable biological base, that living outside a grounded narrative had caused havoc with their evolutionary biosystem. Jill and Michael had read another story, however. They read a bit that claimed the Chaostrophe had destroyed the once mighty species. Jill found this interesting. She had heard tell of the Chaostrophe, but the subject was practically taboo. It terrified her relatives, and they made a superstitious gesture whenever it was mentioned, always in hushed whispers. She told Jill and Michael that to this day, the metaverse still teetered on the brink of collapse because of it. She said the universe was still tottering, but time fluctuations between different levels made the tottering last longer in some places than others. Her grandmother had even whispered that she believed the chaostrophe had never ended. They were just fortunate to be far enough from the epicenter, and when it came, there was no point worrying, because they would be killed horribly no matter what they tried to do, so best to just not bother yourself about it. Asha was in a strange position of possessing a wealth of information, but practically no experience. She had just flowered. She knew a lifetime of knowledge from her family, but no idea of any actual techniques. She could, though, rescue Jill and Michael. But they needed to help her. They needed to stop the gnomes. Jill and Michael were delighted at the thought of rescue, but Michael laughed at the idea that they were capable of being of use. Jill, however, seemed to think that they could certainly be of use. If Asha taught them what she knew, they could help her, although Jill admitted she didn't see how three amateurs could stop an entire super race. Asha told them of course they couldn't, but they could get help, and the only possibility of help was to find this William person. How? Michael asked. There was a group some kind of religious order who kept track of metaverse things. They had files on William, but these files or anyone who might know of such things were in a very, very dangerous place. Thus she explained what a linchpin was. In the metaverse, there are some very, very rare places that exist in multiple narratives. Not different versions of the same thing, but the actual singular thing itself. For instance, there is a house. This old house exists in over 20 different narratives. Once you walk inside, you are in the same house as anyone else who enters it from any other narrative. Its nature is paradoxical. The house exists simultaneously in a Wild West narrative, a speculative fiction narrative, a horror narrative, a historical biography, a bargain bin romance narrative, an eldritch cosmic horror fantasy narrative, and on and on. Asha was warned away from ever going into a linchpin. She didn't know anything more about them other than there was a particular linchpin that was used by this order as an office... A headquarters? She was unclear, but they had files and a knowledgeable clerk who kept track of things like William. They might at least be able to find out what quadrant of metaspace he was likely to be in. 
they might be able to boil it down to under 50 likely narratives. Still, the place, the linchpin, was very dangerous. Once Dasha was convinced the coast was clear, she would lead Jill and Michael out and teach them what little she knew, how to navigate metaspace in the most basic manner and maybe jump narratives. The truth was she didn't even know how to do that, but she at least had a basic idea. They would figure it out together. She impressed upon them that this little area of metaspace didn't even look like other areas. It was vast and gave way to pockets of unreality, hyperreality, subreality holes, and a plethora of surrealism. But they would learn the best they could. They would train and together try to make their way to the linchpin, a place Asha only knew by the name the Decadent Abbey. I do promise that sometime in the near future we will have the exciting vaporwave track Pixel Wave versus the Calamari Yakuza. Unfortunately, and in order to get this podcast out, we have to make sacrifices, and so we cannot do it this week. Instead, we have, well, a dumb, pointless, stupid song performed by an untalented hack, as usual. And so, for those of you who hate music, here you are. Standing alone In desert sand beneath empty sky It seems to me There's some great metaphor here That's whizzing right by But spare me please the irony Oh, my humors run dry And so I guess I'll keep wandering on Stumbling along Passing the time Now's the time When some old guy Who meditates Day and night Should appear atop A sand dune And give me some Great advice Oh but wouldn't you know I'm all alone I mean hell What can you do So I'm lost in a desert What else is new? I guess that I'll try To find the caravan Through this mountain of sand I suppose that the goal Is to finish the track And return where I left But back to what do I really want To return to the life I knew So I'll keep wandering on There doesn't seem to be much else to do Anytime the clouds decide To part and shine down a light Oh, my schedule's not full, I wouldn't refuse A flash of divine insight Oh, but here I am Just me in the sand Talking about what 
what to do So I'm lost in a desert What else is new? Wandering while away the ongoing time Till I get a desire or maybe a hint Or even a plan or sign Oh, so here I am, just me in the sand Talking about what to do So I'm lost in a desert, what else is new?